This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is Political Theater. Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Dick. The 2024 election may seem far away, but it really isn't. We are in the thick of it with the midterms firmly in the rearview mirror uh, and the presidential uh, elections and everything that comes out of those gearing up in earnest. And one of the signs that that is happening is the annual CPAC conference uh, that was held in Washington, uh, actually the Washington region, uh, suburban Maryland at the Washington Harbor area over the past week into the weekend, featuring such uh, congressional luminaries as Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert, as well as the headliner, President Donald Trump. Also, uh, over the course of last week and into the weekend was the Principal's First Conference, which is almost the anti-CPAC that uh, was was established as as our reporter Mel McIntyre, Mary Ellen McIntyre, sorry, I always slip into the the, the nicknames with people sometimes, uh, chronicled okay. was <laughs> started almost as a form of therapy uh, for the anti-Trump parts of the, the GOP. But we're going to talk, we're going to unpack CPAC, we're going to talk about uh, the Principal's First Conference uh, with Daniela Altamira, who's making her uh, political theater debut as part of the Roll Call political team. Daniela, welcome. Thank you. And Mary Ellen McIntyre, uh, who covered the principles first uh, and did not have to figure out how to get out to Washington Harbor <laughs> from the shuttles uh, and all that. <laughs> My commute was probably a little bit easier. <laughs> uh, so, Daniela, uh, Mary Ellen, uh, thank you so much. Uh, let's let's start with CPAC. CPAC might have gotten just a little bit more ink uh, over the course of the last few days. I would hasten to also add to it wasn't just uh, Donald Trump and his family who were uh, making appearances there, but also uh, other uh, former presidential figures, uh, Jair Bolsonaro, uh, the former president of Brazil, who doesn't seem to seem to spend a lot of time in Brazil lately. He's, he's been making his home in Florida and now uh, appearing at this conference and his son, too, who was a member uh, involved in Brazilian politics. So, Daniela, let's let's talk about CPAC and what your impressions are there, because, again, this is not wholly representative of the Republican Party, but it certainly is the uh, people who are in positions of power uh, in the political in the in the Republican Party. Let's talk about what you what you saw there in your reporting. Yeah, um, I, I think what it's representative of at this point is the Trump wing of the party. Trump was so omnipresent. He didn't appear until the very end um, on Saturday afternoon, but his presence loomed over everything throughout the whole uh, entire four-day event. And his family was there, his supporters were there, both you know members of Congress and people who are aligned with his agenda and everyday folks who are walking around with their red caps. And Trump was you know, sort of the overarching theme of CPAC. And I couldn't help but notice too that on, you know, granted, you know, the, the undercards, if you will, the, the, the events that happen early in the conference, 
uh, tell you a little bit about the priorities, you know, like that they're, they're of course, they saved Trump for very, the very last speaker of the event on, on Saturday. Thursday was really just like, come pick up your badges and, and things like that. I, I mean, somebody has to go first, right? Somebody has to have that seminar first. But though the, it, I couldn't help but note that the some of the seminars on that first day were, you know, how to increase uh, outreach, how to use uh, absentee balloting to, you know, to beat the Democrats at their game, how to grow the party, how to reach young people, how to reach minorities. And that was all crammed into like the first few, <laughs> few hours. And then it got to the red meat, you know, Jim Jordan, Matt Gates, Lauren Boebert, you know, Trump Jr., you know, all, all these types. And it just seemed like the, 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 the ways that the party, any political party would want to be the most concerned about, like sort of the nuts and bolts, was all crammed into that, like, uh, come pick up your tote bag uh, and also go to the seminar that might put you to sleep. And then, you know, but let's, the, the headliners really, you know, like later on. Is that, is that a fair, uh, like sort of obs- observation? <laughs> Yes, the, the, the Biden crime family and the really all out war on transgender youth, uh, sort of developed slowly over, over a couple of days. And, you know, by Friday and Saturday, uh, that was definitely the overriding theme of, um, pretty much everybody's, uh, discussion. You know, you did have, um, some folks who were talking about, um, reaching out, broadening the party's agenda, Nikki Haley and some other folks were um, vocal on that, saying that we can't just preach to the CPAC diehards, we have to broaden our mission. Um, But overwhelmingly, it was, um, you know, the folks who were yelling to, uh, you know, arrest Fauci and uh, impeach Mayorkas and criminalize uh, gender-affirming care for youth and really the, the sort of core of the modern Republican Party's Trump-aligned uh, wing at this point. And Mary Ellen, that doesn't sound like the conference that you went to to cover at the mm-hmm. Principles First, uh, just a slightly different approach. <laughs> Not really. Um, yeah, they had a little bit of a different vibe um, going on at this conference. I mean, I want to say first, like Trump definitely hung over this event. Um, and you mentioned earlier, um, one of the things that the um, person who sort of founded this, this guy, Heath Mayo, he told me was that this is the third time they've held the summit. And that the first couple of years, it really sort of was a form of therapy for these, you know, a lot of disaffected Republicans, people who made up the sort of establishment of the Republican Party 10 years ago, and who are sort of the never Trumpers, if you will. Um, and he sort of said, you know, it's not just about Trump. We're sort of trying to move on and look to the to the future and determine, you know, what that is. But I mean, just a sampling of some of the titles of panels that happened here. There was one party as an institution. Can the GOP survive? Looking to 2024, hope and despair, but mostly despair. So a little bit of a different vibe than CPAC um, this past weekend in downtown D.C., but yeah, still a lot of looking to 2024 and sort of what do you, what does this group of Republicans or former Republicans or whatever you want to call them, how are they looking to find their place currently in the political system? And and you you know you mentioned that you know like the people uh, who are Republicans, still Republicans, looking for their place in the party. Uh, among the one of the participants in the in the principles first was Adam Kinzinger. Uh, former uh, Republican member from Illinois. He was on the January 6th committee. He voted to 
uh, impeach Trump. I mean, he uh, he attracted the uh, former president's ire uh, he, along with Liz Cheney, who was also on that committee. Um, and you know, you know, interesting guy, Air Force veteran, kind of like cut from a very um, almost like a stereotypical Republican cloth of about twenty years ago. You know, someone who served in the military, somebody who was a big free markets guy. Uh, so you know, not uh, you know, pretty so- socially moderate in, in a lot of cases. And he said, like he, as as you reported, he's um, he's not running out any kind of future run for office, but he just doesn't. He, 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 it's not obvious where he would fit in uh, there. He, he doesn't know uh, where he goes from here as, as a Republican. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is a guy who decided not to run again. Um, if he had run again, probably would have lost um, a Republican primary. Um, as someone who I think wants to, in the future, be in the elected office, he said, but acknowledged that, you know, there's not really a place for him right now. And it also sounds like, you know, he is, trying to figure out what his future in politics might be. He wants to keep st- keep speaking out. He also has a young family. He and his wife had their first child about a year ago. I forget exactly when, but it sort of seems like he's like, all right, I'm going to keep speaking out and keep doing this. And if there's a time and a place for me to find a spot in politics in the future, I will do that until then. If there is someone, you know, I asked him, does the Republican Party, you know, do you feel like there's someone missing in Congress without you and Liz Cheney in there? And he was like, yeah, if there is someone who wants to take on that role and can get elected and, you know, whether they do it differently than what we did or whatever, like we'd want to support them. He's running a sort of academy for congressional candidates who might want to be interested in running for office, whether it's, you know, depending on the role. So he's still staying involved, but you know, he's definitely, he also said that he has absolutely no, no loyalty to the Republican party. So I think he'll sort of be looking for how does he fit in in the future. And another uh, former member who was at this, uh, this principal's first uh, gathering was Barbara Comstock, who is, you know, used to represent, you know, Fairfax County, parts of Northern Virginia, was a sort of, you know, a, a moderate, you know, knew what she needed to do to get elected in those areas and got swept out, you know, in, in 2018, uh, democratic wave, um, even though, you know, she had a constituency, she ran a pretty good campaign, she had money and just was not able to overcome, uh, the, the sort of the reaction to Trump, you know, in, in the, in the way since Trump's election in 2016. Uh, and, and she said too, that she's like, we, if, if, if we want to attract the type of people who used to vote for me, we have to do something different. But again, not obvious what that is aside from, you know, remake the party from what it is right now, the, the way that Danielle is describing it at CPAC. Yeah. I mean, she's so interesting before she was a member, she was, you know, a, had worked in Republican politics for a long time. And she sort of said, you know, her advice to people who might be interested in running for office in suburban districts and some of the key swing states that we're going to be watching over the next two years, she sort of said, you know, if Trump's the nominee, you might not want to run this year. You might want to wait until 2026 when he's not on the ballot because she's, really sees that him being a drag on Republican candidates. Um, She still considers herself a Republican and a conservative, but she's very firmly in that, you know, never Trump camp and looking at, you know, candidates like Carrie Lake, who I'm sure was present at CPAC. I believe, Daniela, you said that she spoke at like a separate dinner that attendees could pay to go to. I mean, she was up on this panel mocking Carrie Lake and some of, you know, the people like her in the party. So... 
And and Daniela, when you're you were there, you know, at at CPAC, I mean, aside from you know those sort of headliners that we were talking about, like you know, Carrie Lake, you know, was there, and you know, like uh, you know, there's, I think you know, we have a, a recent photo of her like literally kissing a portrait of Trump, you know, like that, that, that's in our photo archives, that's just mm-hmm. from the last couple of weeks. Um, I mean, you know, she seems to be all in, you know, for for Trump. I mean, obviously, people like Gates and Boebert were were there for a reason uh, that they tow the the Trump line here. Were there was there anybody else that you met at CPAC, you know, in in you know in in passing, not even so much the headliners, but attendees who were who came across as like, no, I really want to like, I want to run for office, and this is you know, I'm I come from this part of the country, and I want to represent, or was it more ideological, like? I'm here because I want to stick it to the libs. Yeah, I think more likely the latter. Um, you know, I spoke to um, some older folks who have come to CPAC many times. I talked to a couple of college students. Um, by the way, all all Trumpers. Uh, one guy from New York said he liked what he heard from Nikki Haley. He liked her message, um, but he's still for Trump. <laughs> um, so I think it just shows the difficulty. One thing we did hear, though, which I thought was kind of interesting, there were a couple of uh, sort of rising stars within the Republican Party, Representative Byron, Don- Byron Donalds from uh, Florida, uh, who sort of came into the limelight during the uh, protracted battle for speaker. Um, and J.D. Vance, a new senator from Ohio, they were both talking about um in different ways about sort of broadening the party. And uh, Donald said that, you know, he's here talking to a group of conservatives, largely Trump supporters, as we mentioned. Um, but the message has to be broader than that because they're not going to win just by reaching those folks. And Nikki Haley had sort of a similar message as well. Um, Vance was talking about how, you know, if Republicans are going to win, they have to unite. And that, you know, he's a conservative, he identified himself as a broad conservative, but um, have to sort of make peace with people who perhaps might not share his uh, vision for the party. And um, otherwise, uh, they're just not going to, they're just not going to win. So I thought those two points of view were kind of interesting in terms of how do they move forward and how do they uh, perhaps uh, rebuild after Trump, depending on what happens in 2024, and um, make peace with the other factions within the party. One one thing you know you mentioned J.D. Vance, who I think is sort of his political trajectory is sort of fascinating. This is a guy who used to mm-hmm. work for Peter Thiel. You know he was in you know venture capitalism. Um, you know he wrote this book. He's uh, you know he's again uh, I should say a Republican senator from Ohio. Um, beat Tim Ryan uh, just last year to to win a, a first term in the Senate and. He, you know, he wrote this book, memoir of his of his time growing up in Appalachia, you know, where called Hillbilly Elegy, where he, you know, he, he actually took a lot of flack from people in Appalachia and and in the South and, and for for basically blaming the victim. He, he, I mean, he had this message of like you have to like you know stop you know uh, fueling grievances, you have to stop blaming other people for your problems and and do you know what I did and and you know get you elevate yourself which seems to be um, I mean certainly the president's <laughs> the former president's message is not to let bygones be bygones uh, and and Vance you know like came around to Trump he, he courted Trump Trump sort of dangled his endorsement uh, for him and finally gave it to him uh, mocking him along the way also uh, as, as somebody who was sort of a Johnny come lately uh, and you know Vance won he, he won 
I mean, I won't say comfortably, but it wasn't as close as certainly the Tim Ryan people thought it would be um, in in a Republican state. And I just feel like that's not uh, he seems to be the, the type of person that you may be, you know, that, that we see a little bit more of that you may have hinted at here, Daniela, which is someone who needs to be able to speak Trump. Uh, even as they they look to expand their own appeal and the appeal of the party um, to to you know beyond just the populism that the that Trump seems to uh, represent because the where Vance's policies particularly economically were about five years ago compared to where they are now is very different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Mary Ellen, do you think that that is is something that that the folks at Principles First are just sort of they they just can't accept that that they're I mean they're that they may feel like it sounds it sounds like people like Kinzinger are like well I'm a lost cause but is there a different generation that might be coming up that says like I have to make peace with this and be able to speak Trump if I want to stay in Republican politics yes and no I think that one of the things that's interesting you know about this group is I do think that there are a lot of different opinions on sort of where the best way to go is. And one of the speakers who um, was there this weekend is Je- was Jeff Duncan. He's the former lieutenant governor of Georgia, drew Trump's ire after the January 6th attack on the Capitol. And he, um, you know, gave a presentation and was talking a lot about, we need to sh- tell people, we need kind of a similar type of message of what Daniela was just talking about. of like, we need to grow if we want a Republican in the White House. We can't just be anti-Biden. And we can't just be anti-Trump and we have to prove that Trump isn't a conservative. And he was talking a lot about, you know, going back to conservative ideals such as balancing budgets, reining in federal spending, some of the, you know, big discussions that we've been hearing people talk about on Capitol Hill recently um, with all the talk of the debt ceiling. So I do think that within this faction of the party, you do have different conversations happening like that. I think, you know, one of their challenges probably is the fact that there are these different conversations and there are different people who see themselves differently that makes it kind of in some ways difficult for this voter block to all sort of be coming at it from the same space because you do have sort of a range of political viewpoints that people are coming from. You mentioned Duncan and I, you know, some of the governors who, you know, have won, some of the Republican governors who have won in recent years were nowhere near uh, CPAC, uh, that includes Glenn Youngkin in, in Virginia, that includes, you know, Brian uh, Kemp uh, in, in Georgia, and and then someone who takes a, di- a little different approach than Youngkin and, uh, and, and Kemp, uh, and is, even if their policies may be sort of similar, and that's Ron DeSantis, uh, the, the, you know, was, was none of those folks were at uh, either <laughs> Principles First or, or CPAC. Um, Daniela was the DeSantis absence. I mean, I think that, you know, Youngkin would be a, at this point, at least a, a sort of a distant trailer in, in any kind of presidential race with more people jumping in and Trump sort of taking all this oxygen. But DeSantis is, is typically spoken of as his principal uh, foil or op- opponent, even though he hasn't declared his campaign. Was DeSantis's presence still there, even though he wasn't there? Were people? I mean, he didn't do all that well in the straw poll, but straw polls are not terribly representative of the of the electorate even what was the DeSantis vibe at CPAC so as you point out DeSantis was not there but 
his agenda was all over CPAC. I mean, this um, attacks on transgender youth, uh, railing against woke policies. Uh, the Parents for Liberty group was there um, with their agenda, um, parents' rights agenda. This is, you know, the, the sort of foundation of the DeSantis playbook. And those are issues that he's really put on the map and exploited very successfully in Florida and, you know, now plans to take them nationwide. So he wasn't there. People were talking about him, but his issues were everywhere and, and everybody was talking about him. And they were really the, the forefront of the issues. I mean, even Trump uh, made a comment, got a big uh, applause line about um uh, you know, barring uh, care, healthcare for for transgender young people. So um, he did uh, have, I think, uh, a strong presence without actually being in the room. And and Mary Ellen, I mean, is this? I'm curious if there was discussion, you know, in this principles first gathering. I mean, it's a little smaller, you know, considerably smaller than CPAC. But were they discussing economic platforms like ESG? The you know because I would I would think that even with even if the approach might be a little different, that there are uh, there are some areas of, of agreement or at least some areas that they want to discuss, particularly when it comes to the economy. Was there a lot of that, or was this more about tactics and 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 like where everybody fits? Like the hope and despair. You know, <laughs> it, it was more hope and despair, less. Uh, economic, uh, you know, kind of discussion at, at Principles First? Yeah. You know, it did go beyond just hope and despair and, you know, different conversations, but it was a little bit less focused on economic policies. Um, didn't get as far into that. You know, we did get into some issues, you know, related to foreign policy and America's place in the world, but it kind of was a little bit broader than really going into, you know, topics like that. Um, I think a lot of these people still think of themselves as conservatives. And I think that, you know, there are certain certain things that they still agree with that they want to see Republicans get back to, like when it comes to balanced budgets and things like that. And then there are other things that, you know, they, you know, feel differently, like when it comes to trade policies and things like that, than, you know, the types of Republicans who are CPAC. Well, uh Thank you both for helping us unpack. I guess it's it, I don't I don't have a quippy alliterative way of of summing up principles first, but unpacking CPAC is you know is that that's a that, that's a gimme. But uh, Danielle and Mary Ellen, thank you very much for for sort of debriefing us because um, you 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 went to these events so we didn't have to, uh, <laughs> and for that uh, we appreciate. Uh, and of course, if you uh, listeners, if you want to catch up on those stories, they'll be in the show notes uh, for for this episode. But in the meantime, thanks again to Mary Ellen and Daniela, and thank you for listening out there. If you've liked what you've heard, or even if you didn't like what you heard, subscribe anyway. It helps us. Uh, And subscribe to our newsletter on rollcall.com. Thanks again. Thanks again.